0: For listeners of Stadium Scene's Made Event, you can save 15% by typing in promo code Stadium Scene, that's all one word, at checkout. To learn more, visit linkapp.com, that's L I N Q A P P.com. Today on the show, we jump into the topic of athletes struggling to adapt to life post career. Not everyone can be a coach or a broadcaster on ESPN. So we discuss with former professional basketball player turned entrepreneur Malcolm Lemons and how he's improving that transition. It's an interesting discussion you won't want to miss. Live from a makeshift recording studio, somewhere in the middle of the desert, this is the Stadium Scene Podcast with your hosts. DJ Flock. I suck at trivia and I suck at telling jokes. Kate Thompson.
1: The Jackman, which is just the most awesome name.
0: And Jillian Fisher.
1: No, that was just because I'm crazy as hell.
0: (laughs) You're listening to the The Stadium Stadium Scene podcast. And welcome to episode 28, uh, Kate is here with us today, yep, she's hi, here. Uh, Jillian is off dealing with her, her uh, pug puppies after coming back from Canada, You can, if you follow her on Instagram, you can see she's been having uh, quite a handful there, so she's dealing with that this morning, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in, we have a guest with us again, We've, we're, uh, we're two for two on guests, so... Uh, While Kate and I have been working on uh, future topics for the podcast, we identified that we don't really talk much about basketball and we don't really know why why that is, um, aside from the occasional Space Jam reference from Kate. So today we've got our guest here in studio who's going to touch on the topic a little bit with us and go in a different direction than we even anticipated. Um, Our guest is a former college and professional basketball player who stepped away from the game he loves to focus on helping other athletes adjust to life after the game through his mentoring, writing, and public speaking. You've seen his writing on the Huffington Post, Medium, the Athlete Network, and others. He's the author of Lessons from the Game and also currently hosts the Players' Point podcast. On top of that, he's also the founder of the Players' Point Agency, a marketing agency that advises current and former athletes to develop their personal brands. Please welcome to the show Malcolm Lemons.
2: Hey, how's it going, everybody? How you doing? Yeah,
0: thanks. Uh, thanks for joining with us. This is uh, Sunday morning. It's a little early on the uh, on the West Coast, but I, you're in uh, Washington, D.C.
2: Yes, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Born and raised.
1: DJ, I pick early mornings just to torture you. Yeah,
0: thanks a lot. No, that's all right. <laughs> See, I have. Uh, I have. Twin babies that are oh well they're seven months old now so I'm I get up at 6 a.m regardless of what day of the week it is so I've been up for a few (laughs) hours already yeah (laughs) so let's let's jump right into it um when you you started playing basketball at a at a young age what what drew you into the sport
2: Um, I think I originally used basketball as sort of an escape to get away from a lot of things that was going on in my personal life. So basketball was something that I just gravitated to because it was something where I could just go to the courts and uh, just free my mind, you know, from everything that was going on. And and it was just a release. And then as I started to develop my game and get better, I became more passionate about it. And I really started to take it seriously when I got to high school.
0: And that transitioned into a college career. Uh, Looks like you had a a bit of a uh unusual uh, trip through through college. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I ended up, I actually originally committed to Robert Morris University coming out of, of high school. Uh, and then about two weeks before my graduation, the coach actually, actually left. And uh, he, he assured me that he wasn't going anywhere. But as we know, the nature of college basketball, that that can happen at any time. And he was he was the main reason why I wanted to go to that university. You know, I felt I can come in and and play under him and, and, and really just develop my game on and off the court. So um, when he left, I, I decommitted from Robert Morris University and um, opened my, my my recruitment up and Niagara University came into the picture. Uh, so I went up there for a visit uh, maybe about a week after I graduated high school. Uh, And committed right on the spot because I just felt like it was home. It was comfortable. um, And I I was just really felt like I could come in and and contribute right away. So uh, ended up playing there for three years. Uh, As you said, a lot of ups and downs. Um, I actually got sick my sophomore year, missed half of the season, um, had a couple of bad injuries. So uh, overall, you know, it didn't go as I planned as I you know, an ideal college career uh, would go f- for for anyone, but you know I learned a ton and and faced a lot of adversity that helped me on, you know later down the road. And you know, ultimately, when I end up transferring my junior year going out to Cal State, San Marcos, um you know i took a step down and went went to to naia school and i i went out there on blind faith you know i really didn't know what would come out of it and um you know i just had faith in the in in the process and and that everything would work out and that You know, my goal, my dream of becoming a professional athlete would happen no matter where I was playing or, uh, you know, where I was at in the world. So uh, overall, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of positives and negatives throughout my college career. But, you know, I I learned a ton uh, just through that adversity and through those obstacles that I went through.
1: What made you realize you wanted to go the professional player route?
2: Um, I think, uh, you know, I set that goal when I was young and it, it was more so, uh, you know, opportunity for me to do something, uh, you know, where I could take care of my family, uh, you know, make a lot of money doing so. And um, you know, just have fun. It was something like I said, I became passionate about as I got older. And and that was the only thing that I ever saw myself doing was becoming a professional athlete, you know, since I was in middle school, I believe. So um I, I didn't really know what that took until I got to high school. Like I said, I started taking the game more seriously because I saw how competitive it was. But I think just, you know, I, I saw something that I could, you know, do for a living that I love. And Uh, To me, you know, basketball was that and it was the only thing that I thought about.
1: So when most people here in the U.S. think professional basketball, they're thinking NBA. Um, I noticed that you played basketball overseas in Japan. Mm -hmm. What type of differences are there between what we see with the NBA and the Japanese basketball leagues?
2: Uh, Well, there are tons of differences as far as just, um, you know, Where you have a different style of play, you know, you have the language barrier, of course, some of the rules are different. So it's a lot of challenges and a lot of adjustments that you have to make on the court and, of course, off the court as well. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that the hardest part isn't really basketball, because at the end of the day, basketball is still going to be basketball. Uh, No matter where you are in the world, you know, there may be a little tweaks here and there, but for the most part, it's the game. Uh, But the hardest part is really adjusting to a new culture and having to do that while you're trying to learn a new system, uh, acclimate with a new team and things of that nature. So just being in an unfamiliar environment is very uncomfortable, Uh, you know, playing overseas. And I think that was that was the challenge for me, you know, adjusting to the language, to the cultural differences off the court. Uh, not really knowing how to get around, how to you know you have to learn how to you know go to the grocery store, like little things that we take for granted. You have to essentially relearn, and uh, you know for nine months of, of you know at any time you're playing overseas, and that that's really the biggest challenge. But as far as the game goes, there's there's little tweaks in here and there that are that are different as far as the rules and and things of that nature. But um, you know, like I said, basketball is basketball at the end of the day, no matter where you're playing in the world.
0: Can you talk a, a little bit about the uh the, the Japanese fans? Um you know, you hear a lot about basketball in China, but you know, you don't really hear a ton about basketball in Japan. Um, right. just from what you you see, you know, Japanese fans t- seem to be very intense uh supporters, very passionate supporters in whatever they do. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the fan bases in in Japan?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, it's a growing sport. It's not as big as baseball, soccer, sumo wrestling. I want to say basketball is maybe the fourth or fifth biggest sport in Japan. Um, So it's growing. Uh, You know, I played in Tokyo my second year and being in a big city, there's a lot of other things you can do than come out to, you know, the, the team's basketball game. So to be honest, we didn't have a lot of fans, you know, a lot of our games uh, it wasn't as many people there as we would, we would like. Uh, but when we would travel to the, some of the smaller towns, I mean, the fans were just, it was so, it's such an electric atmosphere, just playing in a different town where there's not as much to do. It's a smaller city and everybody is, it's a tight knit community where everybody comes out to the games and it's like, uh, it's just overwhelming. So I think, uh, basketball is, is growing. It's definitely bigger in China. Um, it's a, it's a huge market in China and there's a lot of great players over there, but, uh, there's there's a ton of opportunity for growth as far as basketball goes in japan and and more people. Uh, you know as as it becomes more of a global game, I think the NBA is doing a great job of of implementing different initiatives in different countries uh, to expand their reach and to build more awareness around the game. And I think that's just uh, it's just phenomenal. and and like I said, there's a ton of opportunity for growth in Japan, and we'll start to see that uh, in the next couple of years.
0: So let's okay. uh, go ahead.
1: I was gonna say, let's move on to the end of the career. Um, what went through your mind when you realized that the sport you loved and played almost every day of your life was now over from a competitive standpoint?
2: Well, you know, to be honest, I kind of took that leap. Um, not because I was forced to, because I kind of wanted to, um, I had always told myself that I didn't want to be a professional athlete for, you know, more than five years. And, um, I know that sounds kind of crazy, you know, coming from, you know, someone who was wanted to play basketball their entire life. But I always had other things that I wanted to do and I never wanted to be defined as just an athlete. Now, that didn't make the transition to life after sports easier at all. You know, in fact, um, I don't think any athlete is actually prepared for that for that transition, because uh, when you spend so much time focused on one thing and you try to, you know, readjust and, and find yourself outside of that, that one thing, you know, you 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 have trouble you know, finding a, a new identity, you know, because it's been tied to, to that one focus your whole life. So um, I took that leap uh, after my second year playing in Japan, because I felt like, um, you know, my passion and, and my drive for basketball wasn't as strong as it was before. And I, I really started to think about, you know, where I saw myself, you know, five years from from that point, uh, while I was playing in Tokyo. And that really you know, led me to start writing, to, to start releasing some of my thoughts on paper, start figuring out, you know, well, how did I get here? How can I leverage some of the things that I've learned throughout my basketball career in other avenues of life? Uh, so that's kind of what ultimately led me to uh, writing my first book. You know, I had been writing so much through my second year playing in, in Japan. And when I came home, I had a couple people, uh, you know, recommend that, you know, I had a pretty good story that I, you know, my story could be an inspiration to another athlete, um, and that's when I really kind of took the initiative to start the whole publishing process and, and to to get my book out there. So um yeah, like I said, I took that leap on my own. It wasn't like I faced an injury or had to retire. Um I really wanted to not be defined as an athlete um and to do other things and pursue other ventures in my life. Um and and uh you know that that's what I that's what I did uh, you know, throughout my second year playing in Japan.
0: And and well, and you you know you were one of the i guess you could say fortunate ones that decided to to leave on on your terms it It seems like most athletes don't leave on their terms, whether it's you know, like you said, injury or you know the determine that you know you're not good enough to make the league, et cetera, et cetera um One of the things that really stands out to me that you hear every once in a while in the news is when a player walks away from the sport. Uh, could be a very high-profile athlete. Like, you know, the the one that that always comes to mind is Antoine Walker. Mm -hmm. He walked away from the sport. He made $108 million over his career. Two years later, he's filing for bankruptcy, saying he has $4 million in assets and $12 million in debt. Mm -hmm. Why do you think, and, and, you know, that's one of the more extreme cases, but you do hear pretty often athletes going bankrupt or running into financial troubles just A few years after they get out of the league what do you think the the core issue behind that is
2: i think the biggest thing is that it's it's a lack of education it's a lack of taking initiative over your own finances and understanding you know where your money has come from and and where it's going i think a lot of athletes leave that to their advisors their agents and people who might not have uh you know their best interests in mind and i think the biggest thing that you know, not just athletes, but anybody can do is understand finances, you know, understand, uh, you know, taxes and things of that nature, you know, because because at the end of the day, we're in we're in charge of our own lives. And a lot of athletes leave that, like I said, up to their advisors and people who are in their circles to manage their money. And I think that's the biggest mistake that they can make, uh, you know, throughout their careers. And I think, uh, you know, that's probably the most prominent issue that we see with athletes, um, you know, because they're so busy focused on their sport it's like. Uh, They kind of neglect that aspect and they don't they feel like they can trust the people around them when, you know, most cases they probably can. But a lot of these people may not be qualified or, uh, you know, really understand or have a good grasp on, you know, how to manage uh, an athlete's money. So I think the biggest thing is that athletes have to start taking charge of their own finances and understanding money uh, and and the basic fundamentals of, you know, where their money is coming from, where it's going, how many how much taxes is being taken out. Uh, how to you know balance a budget sheet and things of that nature you know basic financial principles that everyone needs to understand, not just athletes
0: and you you see like the the NBA and the NFL during their their rookie orientations they've started to in recent years implement programs like uh, you know financial management and managing your money uh, what what do you know about that those programs they do? I mean, is it 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 seems like it's a good start, but it's not enough from at least from this from an outsider's perspective is that accurate right
2: so i I don't know a ton about what they actually do during the program as far as the rookie orientation i do know they have a lot of uh you know they go in depth on, on a lot of various things about that transition to becoming a professional uh and how to manage certain aspects of that but uh, I know it's a four day program. It's very intensive. Uh, it's a lot of information being thrown at these guys and it's hard t- for them to retain everything, uh, you know, in a four day setting, you know, where so much is being thrown at them and they're not, you know, they're, they're they're trying to grab everything. You know, people are are congratulating them. They're just getting into the league. They're trying to acclimate. They're moving. You know, so many different things are going on in their lives. And I don't know if they're actually, re- you know, focused on retaining that information uh, you know, during that, that rookie orientation. So I do know there are a lot of different programs that are being implemented throughout the uh, the NBA and, and, and various other leagues and organizations. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is they have to find a way for, you know, these athletes to actually take interest and to retain the information that they're giving, not just, you know, throwing it at them and hoping that it sticks. Uh, I think there needs to be, you know, follow-ups and, uh, you know, other programs that, that are really helping the athletes to understand these various aspects of becoming a, a professional athlete and what that entails.
1: Are you aware of any um, programs or support for players that are transitioning after their careers? Because not everyone ends up be coaching or working for ESPN or on the radio.
2: Absolutely. So, I mean, the, the, the NBA players association, they they do a ton when it comes to career development, um, they have the, the NBA players summit, which they, uh, you know, they, they gather a bunch of athletes together and, and, um, you know, put them in a room and have workshops, uh, you know, and, and with CEOs and, and, and venture capitalists, and, and they teach them about that side of the game if or that side of life. If they're, they're looking to get into venture capital investing. Um, I know Athlife is a, is a major organization that does a lot with the NBA, uh, in terms of career development and, and job placement and things of that nature. So there are a lot of different programs, initiatives and and things of that nature that are focused on helping athletes transition and figure out what they want to do in life after sports. Um, but I think there there's always more that can be done, um, you know, in this avenue because athletes are still struggling. I think more one-on-one attention uh, might be needed for some guys who, who might struggle more than others. Uh, but like I said, all athletes are going to go through a point where, Um, You know when they transition that they don't know what they want to do next and the biggest thing is just having patience through it all and then not uh, you know not 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 getting overwhelmed with the process or not trying to uh, you know really just 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 kind of take it day by day and and understand that that transition period is not easy for anybody but you know you figure it out in time as you start to do more as you start to learn more about yourself.
1: Okay, so let's move on to your media career. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Players Point Agency and what the goal of the organization is?
2: Right. So basically, I started Players Point after I started to uh, build my personal brand. I was featured on a bunch of different publications and, and media outlets. And I started, as I started to build my personal brand, I was getting more attention in it, and it ultimately helped me uh, with my transition because it helped me create a new identity. And that was through me, uh, you know, just building my personal brand, talking about my experiences, some of the things that I'm interested in outside of sports and cultivating that new identity. And it was something that I wanted to do for other athletes and help them figure out, you know, who I am besides an athlete. So uh, Players Point Agency is, is a branding and marketing agency, and we focus on advising and helping athletes uh, to build their personal brands and figure out their other interests outside of their sport, um, and we do that, um, you know, through a through a variety of services and uh, and, and of uh, you know offerings. Um, and I also started the Players Point podcast, kind of as a complement to the to the agency to the company, uh, to really help athletes kind of tell their stories. And to build more awareness around some of the current foreign, former athletes that are doing things outside of their sport, uh, starting companies, you know, publishing books, uh, you know, starting organizations, foundations, and, and really start to tell their stories in a way where they're building more awareness around what they're what they're trying to do and some of the things that they're up, they're, they're interested, in, out, interested in outside of their sport.
1: Whose story have you heard that's been the most inspiring?
2: Hmm, that's a that's a great question. I would say uh, two people stick out in my mind. Amani um, McGee Stafford. She's a player for the Atlanta Dream of the WNBA. Uh, she's she's a very young uh, girl, but she's very, very smart, very intelligent. And she's doing a lot of major things off of the off of the basketball court. Um, she's published a book already. Uh, and it's kind of a collection of, of stories and poems and the experiences that she's been through in her life. Uh, she she experienced sexual abuse when she was younger. And, and just to t- her, to hear her tell that story and how she's been able to deal with that and and her work in in the mental health avenue and, and, and in that field has just been incredible to me. And her story has just been uh, really just awe inspiring. And, and to hear her talk about, you know, some of the things that she's passionate about. That was probably one of the most uh, impactful interviews that I've done thus far, uh, as well as West Knight. He's a former uh, professional soccer player um you know he when he transitioned to life after sports he actually uh attempted suicide and i think just hearing that story and and um you know hearing him talk about why he why he felt this way and how he pulled himself from that ledge was just impact very impactful as well and some of the things that he's doing to help other athletes and why he's so passionate about mental health i think the mental health space is is becoming um you know, very, very, it's a very, very hot topic. It's no longer, it's really people, athletes are trying to eliminate this stigma and they're telling their stories and and expressing that, uh, you know, we're humans too. We go through the same things that other people go through and that we have to uh, build more awareness around, you know, helping people become comfortable talking about the the obstacles and the things that they experience with mental health. So those two stories and the work that they're doing, you know, that that has probably been the most impactful episodes, podcast episodes that I that I've done thus far.
0: Wow. Um, so let's 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 move on and talk about uh, your book Lessons from the Game. Was this your uh, is this your first book or.
2: Yeah, so this is my first book. OK, mm-hmm.
0: so you, you share stories from your youth and, and growing up. Uh, you have a, a story about a, an accident that kind of changed your life and your life perspectives to playing pro ball and then how to succeed in life after the game so what, what would you say to readers uh, would be the most important message from your book
2: you know I, I get this question a lot and I, and I go back and forth in my mind because um, you know part of me which is I would have put every lesson that I learned uh, from the game but I think Probably the the biggest one and the most impactful was the patience aspect. I think uh, having patience in life is so vital. It's so crucial uh, for athletes, especially because when you're transitioning, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And I tell a lot of athletes, like, you didn't become a good or great athlete overnight. Like, it took years and years of working at it, refining your craft, gaining more experience. And it's the same thing when you're transitioning. You can't expect to create a new identity uh, right away. Like it takes time for you to figure out who you are outside of, of being an athlete. It takes time to figure out your other passions and what you want to do for the next, you know, 20, 30 years of your life. So having that patience uh, was huge in my life. You know, I, I'm something that I'm constantly working on growing every day is being patient with growing a brand, being patient with going through life and not expecting things to happen in an instant because life takes time. So I think cultivating that patience and having that you know in any aspect of life is so important it's such a crucial lesson that I've really been able to take away uh, you know all the way from when I was young to till, till, um, you know being an adult now
0: so before we uh, we move on to Kate's uh, rapid fire uh, fun facts about you if you could today one message for athletes that are getting ready to leave the game or have just left the game what would that message be
2: hmm It would probably go back to, uh, you know, being patient and and to also try as many things as possible, you know, get in there and get your hands dirty, you know, gain some experience. You know, if you think you want to start a podcast, you know, go out and just do it. You know, don't wait for for life to come to you. Be proactive And and try as many things as possible because that to me, that's really how you figure out what you want to do in life. It's not, you know, reading, uh, you know, reading about it. It's really, you know, getting active and, and doing things that you think you might be interested in. And I think that's that's probably the most important thing that I can give any athlete transitioning is to not wait for life to come to you go out and create your own career, you know, we've been blessed enough to live in a technology age where we can, you know, information is commoditized everywhere. You can learn anything you want to learn and you could figure out anything you you want to figure out. So if you really, you know, you really want to figure out, uh, you know, what you want to do going forward, you know, take the initiative, take the action and go out and just try as many things as possible and you'll figure out what you don't like and what you like. And that'll help you gain some more clarity uh, in life going forward.
1: Okay, so we'll move to my little tiny segment called Five Fun Fast Facts. Well, um,
0: before you get started, I, oh. I just have to say these these might be the strangest questions I've ever seen you put together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm some- ready for them.
1: <laughs> they're supposed to bring a more human element <laughs> to the show. <laughs> Not that voices aren't human. Okay, <laughs> but moving forward, gym shoes or sneakers?
2: Uh, sneakers.
1: Pulp or no pulp?
2: No pulp.
1: <laughs> Where was the last place you remembered what the air smelled like?
2: Oh. <laughs> uh, see, see, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say last night, um, <laughs> I actually went to a Kevin Hart show, um, <laughs> and it, it, <laughs> it smelled like cigarettes. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For the record, my boyfriend wrote that one. I couldn't think of a question. <laughs> Favorite pregame food?
2: Ah, pasta.
1: That's my favorite running food, so.
2: Yeah, you got to get those carbs.
1: (laughs) And if you could get rid of any one sport, what would it be?
2: Hmm. Probably... Cricket. (laughs) (laughs) Probably cricket. (laughs) for the record, I don't really know that much about cricket, but it just seems like a weird sport to me, so...
0: (laughs) And I, I, you know, Kate and I, we used to work together, and we had some uh, coworkers from India that were they were all into cricket, and they loved it, and they'd have these big parties, and I'm just like, sorry, guys. I, I you would think standing there and hitting a, a, you know, a ball with a, a big paddle is not that complicated. It's way too complicated for my brain. That's that's for right.
1: Sure. <laughs> I know they still listen to this. We do still love you guys. So don't. Stop listening because DJ doesn't like cricket for whatever
0: reason. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and a few years ago, one uh, one of the uh, gentlemen who will go unnamed here um, was being heckled by another co-worker about his, his love for cricket. And he goes, who's your, uh, who's your favorite cricket team? And he goes, oh, I like the Indian national team. He goes, oh, yeah, why is that? And he goes, uh, and preface at the time, this is pre-2016 in the city of Chicago. And he goes, well, my team has actually won the World Series recently. I'm like, oh. <laughs> that's tough. I'm like, that's it. You're, really you're fired. Hoping. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really
1: hoping that's the same guy I'm, who's letting me take over his Twitter profile. Uh, or not Twitter, Tinder. <laughs> uh,
0: no, it's not. I'll, well, I'll share names off the air with you. um anyway so so malcolm we'll go ahead and wrap this up thanks again for being on the show do you uh have social media work etc you'd like to plug
2: absolutely so uh the listeners you you guys can follow me at um at malcolm lemons that's at m-a-l-c-o-l-m-l-e-m-m-o-n-s on instagram i'm on linkedin twitter facebook every every platform you can think of i'm probably on it um, and then, you know, just hit me up. I'm, I'm very responsive. I uh, love to connect with people. Um, and then you can also follow the, the Players Point podcast on uh, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Play, all of that. And uh, for the Players Point Agency, our website is www.playerspointagency.com. You can check us out. Um, and then, like I said, I love to connect. So you guys can reach out. Um, you know, love to, love to meet new people. So
0: Fantastic. So we'll go ahead, and wrap it up, Kate. You have any, uh, any closing thoughts?
1: Nope, I'm good.
0: Well, I, I don't know why I even ask you anymore. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> Same thing every episode.
0: <laughs> so again, check us out, stadiumscene.tv, at uh, stadiumscene on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, at stadium underscore scene on Instagram, and we will see you next time.